Let's start off with kicking it with MrKevinGarcia.com. Say what's up, Kevin. What's up, Kevin? Uh, yo, I'm back, <laughs> and I'm, it's, it's, it's good to be here. I'm super excited. This is uh, going to be our last show before the break, right? Yeah, we have a so seasonal break. It's going to be a big one. Big break. Mm. We are, I think, to be fair to other podcasts out there, we try to do our best to fill the majority of the year. We start up usually like February. We end right at November, Thanksgiving time. So we give you a big chunk of love out there, Primos. But we need to recharge Las Pilas, and we need to come up with new stories and new adventures. So stay tuned for next season, but this would be our last episode. You never know. Something will pop up in the middle, but this should be our last episode. And because of that, it's a huge episode, Kevin, because we have who's with us tonight? We have Professor Latinx himself, uh, Fede Aldama. Uh, Professor, could you introduce yourself real quick? So, what I love is that if I just type in Professor, you're just like no hype, no love, man. Be like, you know what? What I love the myth, the legend, the Professor Latinx himself, Frederick Luis Aldama. Like, that's what you need. What I love is I can just type in. Professor Latinx in Google, and it just gives me all of your links. And I can't do that to myself, and that angers me. I need to be more famous. Um, but but you are obviously a professor. You, you uh, focus a lot on Latino studies, but, but also pop culture. You have uh, done multiple uh, books where you've promoted uh, Latino writers of all ages. And uh, you last year did the uh, Latinx Pop Lab there at UT Austin, which I was thankful to be invited to. Thank you very much for that. Um, BIPOC pop. BIPOC. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. BIPOC. Yes, it's not just Latinx. It's it's a BIPOC pop. You're promoting all kinds of creators of color at that event. This is why I was hoping you could introduce it because I know you're going to say it's so much better than me. That's the point. No, I need you. I need you. <laughs> I'm nothing without you and your <laughs> gazillion followers. No, um, yeah, BIPOC Pop, the, the Latinx Pop Lab is year round. And in fact, we just ran a, a three-day workshop, had a comics creator fly in from Savannah, Georgia, Chris Escobar. He oh. illustrated my adventures of Chupacabra Charlie. He is a comic creative in his own right. He also designed oh. the new and improved Latinx Pop Lab t-shirt. Yeah. Very nice. nice. And so, yeah, so the big event in the spring is the BIPOC pop. And that's kind of like our, our culminating, um, you know, big thing, big, big splash event, big tent, big in kind of Latinx cinematic universe moment and BIPOC cinematic moment. And, um, but yeah, throughout the year, we have the Latinx pop lab on campus and it's the one and only in the country. And I'm, I'm super proud, but more than that, like I, you know, I'm here, I'm with you guys. I love you guys. And without, you know, us and what we do together here 
and in pop in the pop lab and Mex Americon and you know Texas Comic Con, all that stuff. Uh, we are nothing. I Thank you. Nothing. No, that you are you are everything because you are helping everybody else. I love the idea of uh, creatives helping other creatives. And on that note, we have our other guest, Casey Barron, who co-founded the Creatives of Color of Austin, which has been promoting uh, and and connecting um, creatives of you know filmmakers and and, and TV makers, documentary documentarians, writers, speakers, uh, all together on a on a regular basis, which I love. And you're also uh, you've also helped put together the Austin Film Festival uh, for several years uh, until recently. Uh, Casey, could you tell us a little bit more about the Creatives of Color of Austin and also what you've done with the Austin Film Festival? For sure, and thanks so much for that beautiful segue, Kevin, and introduction. That was very kind of you. Um, it's great to be here with you all. And honestly, my work with AFF, uh, locally Austin Film Festival, is what's brought me to this position. Being a programmer for so many years has given me the opportunity to work with and exhibit uh, filmmakers and films from across the world, really, for the last seven years. And yeah, you mentioned the Creatives of Color of Austin. That's something that I co-founded with uh, my very good friend, Stephen DeBose, also a good friend of yours. That's actually how Kevin and I have come to know each other. And we've been hosting these meetups since July uh, this year, July 2022. And uh, I want to point out that I really want that to be uh, an acronym of, of Creators of Color of Austin as COCO. <laughs> and as I explained, I said that, and I think, I don't remember, it was, I think Steven said, oh yeah, because of the chocolate. And I said, no, because COCO, you know, comes originally from Mexico and Central America and helps me feel even more connected to it. Um, and, and, and I was getting super excited about that. And he's like, oh, that too. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was born on the island of Dominica in the West Indies, so the idea of cocoa and everything it can be, even proliferating beyond just chocolate and the different cultures it can hit and the resonance that it may have within those cultures, was really something that once um, another member of the group, Ty, Ty is a local uh, singer-songwriter here in Austin, once he mentioned it, it was like, oh shit, <laughs> what a moment of kismet, let's, let's run with it. And of course, the reason we wanted to get these two very esteemed speakers together is to talk about the big topic, which has been all over social media. Freddie, what are we here to talk about? Wanted everybody on because this is the big thing out here right now. It's polarizing. It's conversational. It's there's opposite sides of this thing. There's conspiracies about it. There's everything <laughs> about Wakanda forever this week. So, guys, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to enjoy it. I hope everybody can feel free to express what they feel here. We're going to have be critical if need be. And I want to open it up first and foremost to our guests. Let's start with Mr. Casey. Just right now, we're going to do initial, just bird's eye view. Like, here's my initial thought of this film. We each kind of drop our thoughts here, and then we'll dive a little deeper. So if you'll start with us, what did you think about Wakanda Forever overall? Gotcha. Well, I guess initial thoughts on a very base level, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was a fairly good story with regards to how they tackled not only the unfortunate passing of Chadwick, but also the forward momentum of these characters, right? Because their worlds, this universe keeps pushing forward. So how does that affect Shuri? How does that affect Queen, Ramonda, everybody else? And so there are pieces in there that I thought really laid the groundwork for the progression of those characters and how, and how they evolve. There's, I think with regards to the themes at play, there's a lot of sort of bigger ideas that clash with each other and don't necessarily work or execute as well as they intended, but that's all coming with the context of everything they 
had to tackle with this film, addressing Chadwick's passing, trying to introduce Dalokan and all of the communities tied to that. So I would say overall, um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good Marvel blockbuster uh, for, for what it was, but there's certainly a lot of spaces that it, it could have been better. Great. And uh, Professor Aldama, what about you? What are your thoughts overall? I wanted, put simply, Talokan forever. <laughs> and I got and I got Wakanda forever and Talokan submitting on a knee mm. forever. Ooh. Yep. You, you, you know, it's interesting, it, it's interesting that you say that. It's interesting you say that because I, I while I feel I really appreciate that uh, Namor and Talokan, they are villains, but they're villains that are dangerous, scary, and also make good points and that people can agree with. But and, and I don't feel that he submitted any more than the Namor does in the comics. Although I do kind of wish that at the end of the movie, when he, when he said, you know, he submits that he gave a little smirk to it because that's, I feel like that would have been more Namor. But that being said, the one thing that I, I will say that kind of, I think is kind of weird on that note is I love that the movies, they established this Wakanda, you know, hand signal of the cross fist. And it is this stance of power and, and, and defiance, but for uh, Talokan, it is a, a stance of submission where they have a bowed head and hands up, which is, interesting choice um but that being said uh again I, I i like the visuals of it so i do understand that uh, but at the same time uh, you know i i also say uh, as much as people would say well why didn't we get a full now more movie by itself first remember black panther didn't show up in a movie by himself first he showed up in a captain america movie and that captain america movie in theory was captain america versus iron man for the whole movie but it was really Captain America versus Iron Man while Black Panther's story was happening. So it really was Black Panther's film. And I feel okay. like this this is much the same thing for Namor. At some point, he's going to get his own film. And it's that's where we're going to get a deeper dive into... Well, excuse okay. the pun. A deeper dive into that universe. Mm, as long as we're blue and diving, that's all I yeah. care about. <laughs> Wait, hold on. And I, and I, let me, let me, well, I'll address the blue skin thing in a second because there's, there's thoughts oh, behind that. Absolutely. But my overall thoughts is this. Fun blockbuster movie, popcorn movie all the way. I think mm -hmm. there were great tones of maturity in the film because we did get to see, and I have my qualms with how death was used in the film. You know, I'll, I'll address those here. Um, I think it was honestly a crutch to lean on to move the story forward um, when it came to that. Um, I think that there could have been, uh, what is it, Kevin? Well, I, I mean, death was kind of a, a crutch for the story, not counting the obvious most important death sure. that is running the story. But I will say, uh, as somebody who's been both writing and teaching writing for so long, I don't usually get surprised by stories. Sometimes the little you know notes of a story will surprise me, but not the story itself. Mm -hmm. In this movie, I honestly didn't know who was going to die at any given moment. I was like, seriously, I was like, wait, did they just kill M'Baku? Okay, he's fine. He's fine. Oh, no, is Okoye going to die? Okay, she's fine. She's fine. Like, I, I honestly did not know who was going to die. And I got to say, yes, I see what you're saying about using death as a crutch. But um, but I, I I want to... Uh, no, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, 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 I want to just kind of give you my initial thoughts overall. And... Casey looked like he was about to say something. I was waiting for Casey to say oh, something. Oh, no, no. Because <laughs> well, you, you did this when I was talking, and I was like, go. No, 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 well, no, no. Continue. <laughs> Well, I was saying I enjoyed the film. I like Namor. I do. I enjoy how he was presented. My son that's 13 years old next to me, suddenly his eyes go big and he's like, wow, that was a cool character. Like, 
what is this? What can I, like, where can I learn more about it? Like, he enjoyed that he wasn't, and this is where his initial thoughts were. He says, wow, I didn't see anything that was blatantly racist about our, 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 our hero. And he said it that way, our hero or our people. He said, I didn't see anything that was blatantly making them look like they were lesser. They looked like badasses. They came out of nowhere, surprised Wakanda, this country that is, you know, un, un, nobody has an equal to the Wakanda. And then here the we are. The most powerful country in the world. In the world. And here they are, heads up, Namor on his own, basically took down and just basically wrecked a whole section of Wakanda. And he's like, wow, that's cool. He didn't look at it as diminished in any way or even a bad guy. In my opinion, I think he's more of a toned down Killmonger uh, as a villain, per se. But overall, I enjoyed the film. I think it's a great, great character that has room to develop. And I guess we'll Mm. kind of dive into the finer points we want to address here. But overall, I enjoyed the film. Well, to your point about Killmonger real quick, it is interesting that a lot of this film sort of works as a mirror of that first movie. And they actually utilize that idea of mirrors throughout a lot of different parts of this film, including the marketing of it. I mean, the poster is very mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. right. A mirror, a mirror of Telecon and, and Wakanda. And mm-hmm. you can see that. Yeah, also. I like that poster. Yeah, yeah. And then you can also see it as well. Freddie, you mentioned this idea of death and how that's very much used as a narrative tool to push things forward. That was certainly intentional. And I think they tried, I recall some lines that were also pushed in trailers like death is not the end for Wakandans or something like that. So they were certainly trying to play with that idea in a number of different ways. I think going back to what I mentioned earlier about themes that didn't necessarily work well, I think that is the one because you had so much mirroring i it started to feel like we were doing a lot of the same beats of the first film in certain ways i've heard that as a critique a little bit and and i will say while i see it i don't think it's as bad as say um the force awakens where it's just almost point for point let's just redo the first movie this one didn't feel like a redo they were definitely having those same points over and over again but they were done either in a different way or to a different effect um, like like the the car chase was definitely a weaker car chase this time, but it was also about a different kind of emphasis. Um, the the biggest visuals is is you know Black Panther falling down from his uh, his hover jet in the first movie, and in this movie that became literally a reverse where we're constantly going up to that jet constantly, mm-hmm. which which uh, which I thought was an interesting choice. Uh, so I I agree with the criticism that the mirroring may be a bit much. However, I've definitely seen it done worse, and I actually I appreciated it. Absolutely. I think there is there is space where they executed it well, um, for sure. And, and, and I think before we start getting into Telecon and Namor uh, in, in depth, because as I know, uh, that's something that uh, that that some of us have talked about before, you know, before this podcast a little bit. Uh, I want to really address the, the, you know, the panther in the room. And that is how Chadwick Boseman was was honored and respected in this film. Uh, from from a film critique point of view, uh, I I kind of wish there was a little bit more of him in there. Uh, maybe some audio that he recorded for What If that they didn't end up using, or even just they could have just had a panther that she looks at and knows is him on the ancestral plane because they already established in the first movie that kings can just appear as as voiceless panthers. Um, but at the same time, outside the film, not part of film criticism, I totally appreciate that they not only respected the wishes of those who knew him, but also um, the fans and saying, you know, we're going to honor him by having his presence be felt without just replicating it when he's not here. 
So I, I don't know. What, what did you guys think about the the actual passing of Chadwick? How that was passed? How that was uh, presented in the film, Professor? You know, I if there is a part that you know, even if I reluctantly went down this kind of path of like the the kind of the sentiment and the feeling, and it's okay if we do that, and that's what you know yeah. movies are good at doing, right? Um, yeah, I mean grief. You know, we I think it was did a remarkable job at like pulling that out of us, and and it was pretty powerful being in a cinema. I'm not I brought my students; it was a field trip, but we it was packed right. out, and you could feel you could feel the connectedness of everyone in that audience. You know, in that in that opening, you know, in those opening, you know, whatever 15, 20 minutes, it's also pretty risky. You know, very risky. Uh, uh, an MCU not dropping us in the middle of that in media res. Right. You know? Uh -huh. And so, I mean, I think it is itself taking a narrative pause out of the expectation of the superhero action film and in general, right. The whole MCU it's saying, let's, let's breathe a minute and let's feel, and let's like take, take this time. Um, so yeah, is that, is, on that side of things, I'm totally down with this movie. Like, and I think it did a good job. I also, one of the things with Black Panther was the hyper masculinity, you know, that was kind of conveyed, not just oh. with, you know, Killmonger, but also in general with T'Challa. I mean, you know, and then the, you know, Okoye, of course, powerful warrior, Nakia, uh, Nakia really incredible, real smart, everything. But they were definitely you know, kind of back and put in the back burner on that movie. In the first and I film. Was yeah. And I was wanting yeah. more women and we got more women for sure. Hell yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, and, and, you know, I gotta say, I saw the film twice, uh, the opening weekend. And, and when I saw it on opening night, that first 10, 15 minutes, it would, the theater was silence. You could just, you could hear people mm -hmm. crying throughout the entire theater. Uh, Casey, uh, how, how, how was your take on, on the way that kind of respect was handled? It's funny because I actually wanted to ask Professor about how he experienced specifically the opening title treatment for the Marvel Studios logo, which was just mm -hmm. an entire mm -hmm. tribute to Chadwick. It was all mm -hmm. of those moments. And I actually saw it with Kevin and some folks from the Creatives of Color group. And it wasn't as packed, but I remember sitting there and it was dead silence. It was just mm -hmm. not a peep. Um, and not just dead silence from the audience. They also did not play the Marvel fanfare. That right. they Which I love. It was that moment no, I, that, I, that silence was mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. felt. And I appreciate that it's not just silence. They had kind of like a mic silence, so you could still hear mm -hmm. it, kind of letting you know that we're here, but we're not giving sound. Right. Honestly, Garcia, I don't think, um, I mean, look, you know, let's get our boxing gloves out and go for it or rather, you know, whatever our, you know, our, our fighting Let's tools. But I think that I honestly, I think if we'd had T'Challa, even an auditory kind of whisper, I don't think it would have worked as well. I'll just be, I think, I think they, they got this, they like pitch perfect. Yeah. No. And again, while I still feel that way, that as a film critic, I feel like that film could have used that literal voice I totally agree with the power of it being silent. I totally agree mm -hmm. with that. Um, I, I, I will say from a from a real quick comic book lore thing that I want to point out, um, when uh, Reginald Hudlin took over, uh, the, the mm -hmm. founder of BET, I believe, when, when he took over Black Panther Reggie. about 20... 
almost 20 years ago, the very first issue had a line in it that bothered me at the time and more so now. Mm-hmm. It was a throwaway line where one of the politicians from Wakanda says, should we let the outsiders know we have the cure for cancer? Nah, let's not give it to them. And it was just to show how advanced Wakanda is. And the reason it bothered me then is because I said as a reader, if ever somebody's going to do a cancer storyline, this is going to be referenced and be like, well, wait, you have a cure to cancer. Uh, and it's going to be like, you can't just throw that out there mm-hmm. as a throwaway and not ever address it. And now even more so than ever, the fact that it was a throwaway that, oh, Wakanda has the cure for cancer. Of course, realistically, there are thousands of types of cancers, probably not thousands, but there's mm-hmm. lots of types of cancers. Um, and there's no way to have a single cure for all of them. And they don't even say in the film that he has cancer. They don't. They specifically mm-hmm. avoid describing what it is mm-hmm. out of respect to somebody who did not want to have the public just feel mm-hmm. pity for him. Let mm-hmm. me ask you guys. So we have Shuri taking over as Black Panther, just jumping ahead in the story. What are mm-hmm. our thoughts on Shuri taking that, that title, becoming the Black Panther, that itself... I was when I watched the movie, I had to kind of like let it simmer and digest a couple of days later mm. to kind of really think how I felt about the movie. And mm-hmm. I am I'm all for these these women coming forward and being the heroes mm-hmm. in this film because they are 100 percent like they are like, especially mm-hmm. Queen Mother, like Angela Bassett, her presence, her performance. was mm. Romanda was powerful. I, oh, I, yeah. I keep saying that she needs to be nominated for an Oscar, and I completely agree. Oh, yeah. It amazes me she hasn't won an Oscar yet. Somebody told me she's never won an Oscar. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she has. What do you mean you can't believe it? Hashtag freaking you know nasty, yes. nasty white Hollywood, man. Yeah, no, you're nasty. not wrong. Hashtag nasty white, hashtag nasty white Hollywood. But, but, but that <laughs> being said, uh, you know, I had said before we watched the movie that, you know, given my choice, I'd rather have Nakia be Black Panther, even though it doesn't make any sense for the comic books. In uh, behind the scenes, okay, Nyaga is amazing, and Shuri's actor is. I'm totally with you. Issues. I'm with but- you, and I'm with you, and I'm with you. And let me tell you really quick, I'm jumping in because <laughs> what up with the ending? <laughs> oh, seriously. Oh, well, let, let's get to that one in one quick second. But no, Freddie's jumping us around <laughs> in the plot. I agree with you, but I want to address this point first and leave that. But I agree with you first. Let's jump and address that. Then we'll jump and address so, that. But in universe, the reason I wanted Nakia to be Black Panther is because in the first movie, she was the only one who had truly altruistic uh, uh, views and actions. She's the only one. Uh, even T'Challa, you know, was always second guessing. Yeah. Well, I need to go by tradition. I go by this. And Nakia's like, it doesn't matter. You have to help people first. She was the yeah. only one who said that. And that's why I thought she'd be great for Black Panther. I, I but wasn't narratively, all in on Fury. I wasn't but narratively, but narratively, it had to be Shuri. You know, narratively, it had to be Shuri, not just because of the comic book connection where Shuri took over when when T'Challa died, but also narratively, where okay. if you're going to do a story of touching put... the torch, it okay. has to be her. Okay. It, narratively, though, it didn't have to put Nakia in a domesticated box at the end. Yeah, I had that feeling too, but I, it's why I wanted to address that separately because I want I want to finish the Shuri thought first, but I also had the exact same thought about Nakia. Uh, Casey, yeah. before we get into to, uh, that whole can of worms, uh, <laughs> thoughts on Shuri? <laughs> so I had a similar thought going in that it had to be her just based off how they've handled the mantle in the comics and the history tied to that. And of course, not every adaptation is one-to-one with regards to what they're doing in the MCU, mm-hmm. but it just felt like they were always leaning in that direction. Um, yeah, even in the first movie before we had any hint that there was something yeah. wrong. 
Yeah, and you know, there's also just the natural tie to legacy and lineage that's mm -hmm. wrapped up in all that as well. So it just seemed like it was going to be her. Freddie, totally understand what you're saying with regards to Letitia Wright, because yeah, yes, we heard that is the about. Thing that happened. Yeah, can't just discount that. So that was something that I know. Not hey, I get it. Hollywood, they have their contracts and all the things, and they're going to do what they're going to do. But I totally understand everyone who had the thought that let's go in a different direction with this. And Nakia is also an incredible idea to take on the mantle for some of the reasons you pointed out, Kevin. But I also uh, forgot that. In the first film, she was the one who saved the last heart-shaped herb for T'Challa to take, right? After yeah, Killmonger yeah. burned down the entire situation. So there could have been some interesting things they did there. Um, but mm -hmm. honestly, I don't know. A lot of this is like <laughs> me thinking with foresight, what are they going to do with that third movie inevitably? Because you yeah. can see some interesting things with I, where I, they'll do some flips there. Can too. I jump in, Casey, and just say too, like, okay, so this is a bigger comment for us to kind of jump in and like get gnash our teeth at one another. Let's but do it. Jump. Let's start. Yeah, I'm ready. Like legacy, but legacy, okay. aristocratic legacy, Casey. Aristocratic legacy. Like, yeah, it's a it's a it's a paternal lineage. It's, it, yeah, come yeah. on, man. Yeah. Like I'm not I'm you know what I mean? It's like like this is an opportunity to break that as well. Like I, you know, whatever beholden to X, Y, and Z or to contracts or comics, you know, like there's always been the need for me to take a, a hot, cold shower after the end of black Panther, after teaching it, because in the end, we've got a King in the end, we've got a queen in the end. We had Killmonger coming in Oakland ready to go, ready to bring the, the, the kind of revolutionary spirit into the space, Oak Town, and guess what? Annihilated. Like, yep. what does well, this say about, like, you know... And we still got Umbaku at the end, right? You know yeah. what? I, I want to I tie this real quick. I want to I address what, what uh, Feather said right now, what Professor uh, Lednick said right now. So uh, you are correct in that it is perpetuating the idea of a monarchy and perpetuating the idea of, of a patrilineage where that's going to go from father to son eventually. And, and out of universe for a minute, I feel like Disney's thinking, well, if we keep this universe going another 10 years, we can have T'Challa behind the mask again. So technically that's a thing. But I want to address real quick that that change is shown I think more realistically in both Black Panther movies than it is in any other kind of fiction like this. Because in the first movie, Killmonger comes in and wants to upend the entire table and say, let's do it this way. And in a, any other movie, that might happen. But the truth is you can't just do that to a government, especially one that has been unchanged for over a thousand years. Uh, it doesn't work like that. The people aren't, aren't gonna do it. The, the government's not gonna do it. The infrastructure's not there. What happens instead, is that he gets those ideas into T'Challa's head and says, consider what more you could do with more people's voices. And then in this movie, that at is- At the sacrifice of Killmonger. I, I'm agreeing with you, but, but here, get okay. what I'm getting at here. Okay. But, uh, but in this movie, that same idea is extended to Shuri, where she begins the, the mm -hmm. movie unintentionally so, acting like a queen. Unintentionally so. I say that because she sees herself, oh, I'm just a scientist, but she's doing it by only listening to herself moving everybody out of the room when she wants to make decisions, not uh, hearing anything. In fact, she very briefly turns to religion and then for the rest of the movie is an atheist. Um, uh, and then all this other ideas of this hearing outside voices. But by the end of the movie, and I do have issues with the end of the movie, which I'll get to later, but by the end of the movie, she does listen to outside voices. 
She hears Umbaku's counsel. Uh, she listens to Namor's concerns. And more importantly, she doesn't just say, I'm queen now, I'm taking over. She says, based on her experience, who is the most qualified person to currently run Wakanda at this moment? And she asks him to step up. And he does. So while I agree with you, it is perpetuating the monarchy. It is a monarchy that is softening in a way that is more for the people. And in fact, ta Coates' Black Panther did this as well, where he opened up the run as Black Panther had always been, yeah. a straightforward monarchy. And by the end of his run, it's a democratic monarchy where there are now voices of the people running the country where Wakanda is uh, has more of a figurehead king or queen. Not figurehead, they're still making decisions, but with the voice of the people. Casey, what do you think about all this? Do you think that that they are presenting this well? Do you think that it needs to be done differently? Uh, I think they could use a different stroke with it, but I do think one of the things I at least am keeping in mind here is the idea that Ryan Coogler is also the same guy who did Fruitvale Station. And mm -hmm. so with that, there's, and going back to your point, Kevin, about uh, what they did with Killmonger there, I think he probably as a filmmaker and as a storyteller would have loved to have Killmonger really go all the way and get his way and turn things around and change the entire culture and society of Wakanda. Um, but it worked for the story that Disney or Marvel probably wanted to tell, but also <laughs> for the purposes of what he was trying to do for those characters to make it so that Killmonger would get ever so close and then it would fall apart. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. there's still there's still a great cultural resonance, right, with that character. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. if I think I feel like if it was a packed theater, Kevin, when we went to see it, when he showed up there in that moment with Shuri, like that that place probably would have gone nuts because people yeah. still love that guy and what he stands for prospectively. I think you know, Professor I saw it on, I saw it. Was just trying to move things quicker, right? Mm. I think that the one thing we need to understand, and I feel like a lot of us that are fans of these films or a fan of the, of the the content we're watching or consuming, that this was not written for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not written for Freddie. It's written for a mass audience. Like you said, it's trying to think of the next two, three films on the line. So in that aspect of it, fine. Okay, let's talk. Let's look at the business or the, the, the what is it? The phase five, six that they have planned out on the line, what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, we can kind of bow out and go fine. But if we're going to nitpick, because we are, like, I, I really think there could have been a change. I was ready for Shuri to die in this movie. I was ready mm -hmm. for, like, a huge fucking change. I was ready you for something. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. we almost did. <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, yes. I'm, I knew we were going to have another death, a substantial death. I'm like, where is it? Who is it going to mm -hmm. be? Yep. And then when I started seeing on a ramp up, I saw the writing on the wall, and I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. And mm -hmm. I get it. It's a spiritual journey, her conflict between the past and the future and where she's at and everything she has to deal with. But I agree with uh, Professor Latinx. Like, I'm like, you know what? Couldn't we have shaken it up to the point where mm -hmm. it's like, wow, like I did not I did not expect this to happen. Shuri dies, Nakia steps up. Uh the, some, I mean, we just have the, the idea where she mm -hmm. tears apart Okoye in the throne room, right? That like, she tears her apart mm -hmm. in that scene. It's hard to watch. Great scene. You're like, damn. It is like, a great scene. And also, uh, by the way, that Okoye scene, I've, I've heard some people can't complain about it because they feel sorry for her. But the thing is, it makes sense. I mean, like, uh, like, do I blame her for it? Not in the least. There was she did everything she possibly could, but at the same time, that's literally her job, and those are literally the consequences. So, so let's, it, let's, it made sense. Let's jump to what Rodama was saying. You yeah. want to jump to Nakia? Let's jump there. Yeah, how she that. was mm -hmm. displayed in this film, right? 
But she ended up like, I love the women in this film. They are powerful women. They are the ones that are getting shit done. Right. Mm -hmm. And Nakia had to come out of retirement to get shit done. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But you said at the end, now she's established as she's raising kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and not just raising kids, but, but uh, specifically retiring to run a school and to run a mm-hmm. school in, in as passive a way as possible, which which is fine. She was always a, a peaceful character in the first movie, but mm-hmm. I, I wanted her to have mm-hmm. a more active role, and I wanted her to be in more screen time. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, going in uh, I, again retrospectively, I think the movie told Shuri's story as it needed to be told, but I wanted going in more of Nakia. So know? look, this is the thing, right? So we open the movie. You know, Queen Badass tells everybody, like, this is our time. And yeah, we're running with it. And you know what? It feels good. We have, you know, we have some kicking women, black women warriors. We got, you know, we have, you know, we have Namora, like, kicking ass. Um, You know, the, you know, our blue Mesoamerican you know, hybrids, you know, kicking butt all over the place, women. And then it ends with this like boxed in kind of old, kind of the patrilineage, the domestic and like pulls the now is our time, all of that power out from it sucks the air out of the movie. Yeah, I I want to disagree with you, but I can't. Um, uh, because I, I, I understand why they had T'Challa, son of T'Challa show up, but, but at the same time, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I could have done without that scene. I, I know long run MC, MCU were on, it'll work. But in this film, I, I don't think I needed it. We don't, we had enough of it. Like yeah. we addressed Chad at the beginning. We address him throughout the film in some aspect. Like he's this constant wind that's drifting through this film, which kind of drives again Shuri, her her struggle, her grieving process, whatever have you, the queen herself passing, that moving things along. Okay, we're moving along. We and then we throw it right back to Chad again, you know, T'Challa, all over again. T'Challa, I, yeah. Like they, this like movie has to that. like start and end with T'Challa. We couldn't let him rest anymore. I do think part of that, Freddie, though, and everyone has said had such really good points there, but it felt like they were also trying to appease, in some sense, that fan that wanted some T'Challa or some male persona in that suit. Like it felt yeah. like it was sort of a head nod, a cop out. Yeah, yeah, I felt like that too. I mean, you could honestly say that, uh, no. but I mean, I've had. I mean, Kevin and I have had conversations with with friends who are like, oh, they should have just recast T'Challa and put a new male in that suit. And I personally don't feel that way. I think it did. It would have done a great disservice, actually, to what they were able to do, even with all the problems of that final scene. I do think something interesting it also pulls together is the idea of the role of black women in society who, frankly, do all the superhero shit and will fucking run up mountaintops and all the things. And then we get back at the end of the day to them being pushed in a hole or pushed in a box and sort of tossed aside. So there is an interesting way the film almost mirrors society, like modern society in that sort of aspect. 
I, I will say though, on that note, I do appreciate the implication at the end that Shuri was allowed to break out of the boxes that she was put in. Mm-hmm. You know, she she was expected to be Queen and Black Panther. She initially rejected Black Panther, but then said, "No, I will be Black Panther, but I'm not going to be Queen right now." And not and and not that she'll never be Queen. Just right now, she's choosing to be what she wants to be. And I appreciate that, but at the same time, yeah, that's 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 what happened. Where Nakia again, to me, the most most uh, okay. Okay, somebody reads the comic books. All right, a lot of the characters in the first film are very much like their characters in the comics. Uh, Mbaku is definitely more interesting in the movie, uh, and Killmonger is definitely more mm-hmm. charming in the movie. But other than that, they're very similar. Nakia is the one who is least like her character in the comics because her character in the comics is well, she's she's a psycho murderer that you know, is mm-hmm. upset that T'Challa didn't choose her. So it's much more interesting in the movie. And then in this movie, she was sidelined for most of it. And then when at the end of it, we find out she's gone domestic. So we got to let, we got to let Professor Aldama, like he's been holding it in. I see it building in his throat and mm. his face. Let's talk <laughs> about Namor. This depiction. Go ahead, man. Let uh, loose. Uh, what do you got? Uh, okay. So this, here it goes. Like, I don't even like, I'm going to, Okay, while he resets. <laughs> Look, I put this no, out there. Like, no, no, no. Go, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Like, so, go ahead okay. First, first, okay, this, 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 for me, just bear with me. Okay. Ancestral land promise, the ancestral lands, the vision quest coming from our side of kind of cultural stuff. Um, and it's Killmonger. Okay. Killmonger, though, as now a kind of absolute, like, repository, like, everything angry, everything anger now in, you know, being represented with Killmonger. I mention this because, and in relation and reflection with even M'Baku, who offers Shuri wise counsel, Mm -hmm. he says there can be another way. But because she is charged up by this, by the experience with Killmonger and what Killmonger has become distilled down into, which is anger, right? Black male kind of anger, right? She does it. She goes nuts. Now, this is why the black versus brown race war in this film was so hard to take because Shuri, there was wise counsel, there was an opening, takes a different option. It's the Killmonger, right, as the one, not the cosmopolitanism, the Nakia, right, um, you know, infused cosmopolitanism that T'Challa comes to at the end of Black Panther, but this, this, irrational, unthought-out anger that Killmonger has become. Now, I think that's, one, doing a disservice to Killmonger and his characterization and and the spirit of the revolution, the spirit even of Black Panther Party, and the spirit of all of those associated with the Black Panther Party, you know, coming out of Oakland, but in its all its chapters around the country, including, by the way, the Young Lords, right? So... Latinos and blacks across the country, across the country, right, coming together to fight 
systemic racism on really basic levels. And what I wanted, if we were going to do this story the way it is, which is a effectively a race war between our, our communities, our peoples, we needed to get, have a little more in the writing, going to you, Garcia, where we got the understanding, the sense of uh, not just co colonization and the conquistadors taking, raping, and pillaging our peoples, right? That little like flash of a minute, but we needed something in the writing room that would allow us to understand that it's not that black and brown people are naturally at one another's throats or that go at each other. It's that the media hypes us as being at odds with one another. And it's the divide and conquer mentality, right? That our communities have right, taken in that colonization through capitalism that has created this, this idea that somehow we can't be together, but we have really clear examples that we work when we work together, we get shit done. And it goes back to the whole thing with like Black Panther. It starts. We're in Oakland. We've got Huey, you know, poster up on the wall. We got too short. We got public enemy. We've got all of the reference to land us, locate us in this really important space of revolution that came from the people and that was actually a, um, um, across color lines and especially inclusive of black and brown. And then in the second part, we have a race war and we don't have any explanation. And that's what was so disturbing to me. So I, I want to respond to that real quick with, with two things. First, why I... Don't, I've heard that argument elsewhere on the internet as well. First, why I don't see it as a race war, and second, why it basically was. I, I don't see it as one because uh, what you said is exactly true in that the media often portrays it as black versus brown, and there's often this, this, this artificial antagonism, which I'll be honest, uh, growing up on the border, I, hear, I heard a lot of people of Mexican descent make comments about black people when they've never met a black person in their life because there wasn't any in Brownsville, or very few at the time. Um, but in this film, Namor's people are not known of by the, by the media. Um, they have not interacted with the media. Um, they just see the writing on the wall of what could be coming. And so they say, let's address that. So what I instead see it as a, the most powerful nation in the world suddenly being threatened by somebody they never heard of that they are actually unable to solidly defeat. But, but, well, hold on, but wait, but the second half of it is this, and that is, they should have addressed it, though. And what I mean by that is, at the beginning of the movie, we have Ramonda coming in, talking to the, to the UN, and we have France being kind of called out. Look, we see what mm -hmm. you did. Here is evidence of it. Throughout the entire course of the movie, we have the US saying, yeah, we want to do it. Yeah, we want to go after them. Yeah, we want to do it. And then at the end of the movie, we have Shuri and Namor coming to a tentative truce, right? Uh, and I know the movie was already very long, but they really needed... One more scene after the truce. Like I didn't want them to come to a truce. Oh, there's our true enemy. Let's team up. No, I wanted them to come to a truce first. But after coming to a truce, I wanted all of those threats from the Western powers to come to fruition, mm -hmm. so that we could see them unite against the colonizers, unite against the countries that want to come in and take them for just like No More said, our resources. I wanted to see that. So yeah. while while I disagree that the film we got was a race war, and again I've heard this elsewhere on the internet, I do agree 
that that should have been addressed better. And and I think the, the best way to address that would be if you're going to have the U.S. saying this over and over and over again, have it follow through. And I feel like the main reason they had that character say it over and over again was so that she could address it in a future movie, which I, I really should have been in this one. Let so me chime in really, before you do, mm, Professor, because yeah. I want to I wanna touch something you said, right? The There's a scene in the movie where they talk about the president wants to destabilize Wakanda. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. they say it out this, loud. They say it right out loud, right? The U.S. Mm -hmm. is always meddling where they shouldn't meddle, right? Let's just be real. Mm -hmm. Colonizers mm -hmm. doing what they do. But well, the one thing that uh, Primo Eddie, and he's a producer on the show, he sent me a voicemail earlier, and I'm just going to try to shorten what he says here um, with, with his my voice. In other words, what he, how he took this was we have always been put against each other to fight over resources, be it, mm -hmm. be it educational resources, be it mm -hmm. uh, exactly. the, the resources in the earth, be it. He even said, he, if we want to be if we want to be real, he goes, I grew up in the hood. He's like, who's going to get to sell the drugs here? Who's going to get to take over this territory? It's always mm -hmm. been intermingling and sprinkling of the government, somebody else coming in to come in mm -hmm. and make this race war happen. So mm -hmm. I think that that was the rank Kluger to, to include the, the U.S. saying, hey, we want to destabilize and not necessarily being directly the reason these two are going. But actually, they are. If you think about it, why yeah. did Namor come out of hiding? The government got involved somehow right. really to wrong. get their shit. Yep. And here we are because of the government. These two are fighting. And then, and then hold on, Casey, Casey, you just mentioned Riri Williams. The, they literally just flat out have the government using a black mind without her permission or knowledge, and they never address it. Yeah, What's your take mm -hmm. on all this, Casey? Uh, well, it's interesting talking about the battle of sort of resources and thinking about also the inclusion of Haiti specifically as the place that Nakia ended up was not lost mm -hmm. on me. That's oh, I love grew that. up in Miami. Like, just knowing mm -hmm. the level of interference and issues both societally and with regards mm -hmm. to i guess you could say war times for lack of better terms on the top of my head that occurred mm -hmm. there and so there's just a lot of natural conflict and really messiness that's tied to all that i think really with regards to how they set up this prospect of a race of a race war that direct conflict between uh wakanda and talokan Frankly, it's just like how long did you want the movie to be? Like you kind of yeah. get to that. No, no, I, I, <laughs> that I get point it. Like, like, there's only I, so much they can put forward, and I do think just one more thing, really quickly. Coming out of it, I was wondering if it was actually too long, and we could have either done more with Talokan or maybe seen Talokan specifically through Namor's eyes and mm -hmm. how he looks at the world with that mm -hmm. culture and that background. Because mm -hmm. what you ended up doing with those Talokan moments, as insightful as they were to show off the culture and to show off some of those characters, um, some of those other characters that are part of sort of Namor's, um, if you want to call it cabinet, you also ended up making almost like two different films where it's like we're yeah. introducing all of this and we're giving you all of the backs or not all but some of the backstory and mythology but we also kind of have to have an a plot here that no but you also have to have wakanda win right yes. at the end i yes. mean think about it this way i looked at it this way when they had one ship show up hmm Okay, and Namor mm. was caught off guard with maybe a few of his soldiers. Like it was kind of you saw it coming. Like okay, Wakanda's not gonna fall here. Like it's very yeah. shallow, if you will, battle that they just kind of waited to fall off the ship. You know, honestly, like, kinda, honestly, my, my my biggest problem with that battle is I, I appreciate that her eagerness to to just go in with her with her anger put her people at risk. 
Like mm-hmm. the very first thing he did was send out two jets, knowing full well they're fighting a guy that throws jets around, and then he throws it at her people, and like twenty of her people just die right there because she decided to do that. That doesn't bother me because that's part of that journey of that 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 story. What bothers me is that at the end of it, she just suddenly has a change of heart because she remembered and then had a vision of her mother, which which is was important. But I wish there was a little bit more to that change of heart, mm-hmm. like more of her remembering her talks with with Mbaku, more of her remembering her conversations with Nakia, more of that instead of just that. But again, it's like you said, Casey, how long did I want it? Like, yeah, I, I wish they could have put more time into that, but I think narratively it makes sense to make it short. Okay, but let me ask you guys this. <laughs> Go for it. Whiteness. Let's talk about whiteness. Okay. We're talking, we t- you know, everybody's always, you know, jumping on, uh, you know, in the end, like, I- I'm glad that we have, you know, Primo Freddy's talking about his kid and like, you know, he, he, he loves it, you know, and we want that. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're, we're, t- we are talking about, you know, some nuances, some, maybe some better writing that would have kind of given us a, a bigger, a deeper sense of, you know, um, but you felt no pride. Of... You didn't feel pride. Yeah. With, with no, I did. I did. I did. I did. I felt. I did that. I did. I for sure did that. Um, but what I, I guess, I want to redirect us up just for a second yeah. to whiteness in this movie and the place of that, because I feel like if you know it, 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 it ended up candy coating or playing down or making really kind of palatable sweet candy like you know, that, that message of, you know, capitalism and, you know, um, and then, you know, the, the, the kind of president's position. And I say that because of agent Ross and the Mm. cuteness of it. And then, and then his ex, right. So we have Valentina. Um, and I just feel like that maybe it's comic relief, you know, Garcia can help us on this because he's the writer, but you know, it, 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 it turned what was a powerful incentive or seed for understanding better the divide and conquer that we're so used to seeing in our communities into something that was, you know, like cute. Here's the thing. I actually so like were, the comedy. You were humanizing the colonizer? Uh, I'm mm-hmm. I'm gonna actually t- take issue with that though because I've seen online somebody actually referred to this movie as CIA propaganda because it makes them seem like cute or whatever and I, I completely disagree because yes there is humor in the things she says but we're laughing at how evil it is and how real it is because these are all things that we know the government has discussed it's not even like oh with conspiracy theories no they've literally discussed destabilizing and have in the past destabilizing countries. Um, but the, the part where people say, well, Ross is shown as a good guy. So he's the, the good guy with the badge, I guess. And the thing is, no, he's not. He, he's literally the most incompetent member of that entire agency. And then he gets kicked out of it. When he, tries to do, yeah, when he tries to do something nice, he gets kicked out of and arrested. So that isn't at all humanizing the CIA. It's showing that when they try to be human, they get removed from the agency, you know? It's, and, and it, but so, it's not, it's not, we're not talking about humanizing the CIA. We're talking about whiteness as comic relief. And and I agree that is the case here. And I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I feel I like it's, it's, I was it's get to that. Like, how many yeah. films haven't we watched where the Latino or the Mexicans fucking yes. the comic relief? Oh, yeah, yes. no, no. Or the- oh, d- believe me. Yeah, I get you, man. I get you. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is like, 
if the message is going to be clear for us to understand why we have black and brown going at each other's throats, it can't just be one little like microsecond at the very like launch of the movie. Yeah, I agree. You know? that, that should have happened more often in the film. That should have happened so you more often dig, in the film. You have to listen and watch for what, what you're looking for, right? For those, those beats. But I mean, let's talk about Namor and how, you know, you have a problem with the blue skin, my friend. So, like, so I let, people let, online telling me the same thing about that, that they want to, how come they're not brown? I go, they're brown underwater. Let, let me, let me start with this for a second. Let, let me start with this for a second. Um, I, I, I want to say that I love, as much as we're complaining about it right now, I actually love the movie overall. I really did love the movie. But my biggest concern with the movie was, I'll be honest, two fears that I had when I saw the trailer that came true. And one fear that I had <clears throat> is that I really love that Namor is not just representing, in, in a sense, Latin America, but also indigenous culture, uh, but more specifically, Yucatec Maya. Um, you know, that's that's good. And I, and I appreciate that, A, I've been watching on TikTok a lot of uh, indigenous creators, you know, showing that they have a lot of pride for this idea. And B, I've seen a lot of Latino creators saying that they're feeling an association with him and wanting to emulate him because he feels so powerful. I love that. But yeah, Halloween. But That's me next. Halloween. When I saw, yeah. yes, but when I and you're gonna look great in the in the in the shorts, right? But, <laughs> Can't wait, man. Can't wait. When I saw the trailer, and I saw him, well, I already knew they were gonna be speaking a language um, that is still current, but but is uh, referenced uh, referencing a culture from about 600 years ago. But then he was doing a written language that is literally 700 years old. I said, uh, I really hope. That that's just him kind of doing a throwback, because if this culture has been around for a while, language evolves, and what they did with Wakanda was show us here is an African nation. If they were never interfered with by colonizers, and look how beautiful it is, we got this beautiful Afrofuturistic society, mm -hmm. and then with Talokan, we are given here is a Mesoamerican society, which I want to point out from a historical point of view. Uh, Mesoamerica was as technologically advanced as anything in Europe at the time. The only difference is, is that Europeans had guns and Mesoamericans had better farming. Beyond that, they had indoor plumbing, they had writing, they had books, they had architecture, they had commerce, they had politics, they had everything that we think of as technological development they had on par with Europe. And then you say, what if we move them out and had zero colonizer interfere? Yeah, I can't talk. Hmm. Interference for 500 years. And they did zero development. Mm -hmm. um, somebody told me, oh, well, Dude, they, they, had, had they had rebreathers. They had rebreathers. No, he didn't build an arc reactor. All he did was take a vibranium and then crush it until it glowed. He's got super strength. He could do that with his hands. Um, now, the thing is, is that uh, they did have these cool rebreathers. That's high technology. Mm -hmm. But then when you see the flashback of his mother's death, they've had those rebreathers for 500 years. They had water bombs. That's technology. Yeah, but that's also the only resource they had around them. So literally out of necessity, they built two things they had to build. Uh, they, when you see their city, it's a stone mm. building. The mm. only source of light is those little glowing balls of vibranium. They have no internal lighting. They have no writing system. They have no, where are the holograms? Where the, in, the, in the comics, uh, Atlantis, because obviously it's Atlantis comics, they have genetic engineering. They literally have a fish that they genetically engineered to be a TV screen. All right, they've, they've done that, mm. you know, and then here they, they have not even developed their writing system past what it was 500 years ago. Mm. And that bothers me a lot. 
Uh, it, uh, and on top of that, on top of that, they continually referred to him as a god. And I thought, oh, well, maybe it's just like a ceremonial title. No, they literally referred to him as mm -hmm. Kukulkan, which Kukulkan. Uh, I do. I love that, by the way. That's the best delivery ever. Um, yeah. But they, they call him that. And that is perpetuating the idea that these indigenous cultures, when presented with a powerful figure, will see them as a god. Like, I don't see people in America going, oh, Hulk is green and can smash cars. He's a god. I don't see people in Wakanda going, Black Panther can jump off buildings. He's a god. But when it's an indigenous mm -hmm. culture, they say, oh, they're going to think he's a god. So they're going to treat him like a god. So and I really dark, don't like that. They're still I in the really dark looking like at the ground, right? Pretty you much. Know, they're and, still and, a tribe and, looking at the ground. And, and, and I honestly feel like they can fix this in a sequel. Like I'm sure um, in, in the comic mm -hmm. books, for example, uh, when Atlantis formed underwater, they learned that they were part of a larger, older society. So if we have Talokan meeting other Mesoamerican cultures underwater that have all these other things, maybe we learn that mm -hmm. Namor, when he told Ramonda, you guys didn't have to change. Maybe he forced his people to stay a certain way. I can see that. But, but you know like, what? There was mm. a guide. There was a guide. There was Marvel that had years and years of Wakanda, right? And a, a futuristic African nation, right? With all this stuff developed and created. There hasn't been this for Mesoamerican heroes that, that I that I know of. Can you correct me, Kevin? But if you look at it, the original Atlantis, quote unquote, was based on Plato, right? It was Greek. So Actually, that height, that, no. that idea. That while well, you're right, there's not really been a consistent Mesoamerica in uh, Marvel comics. Um, I, I've written profiles for Marvel of, of many Mesoamerican gods, um, but uh, in terms of Mesoamerican like existing society, they will often. Have, like, and this is just Mesoamerica. Well, well, like, I yeah, I was gonna say there, there, there's tropes that Marvel has used over the years that have just throughout science fiction of ooh a lost Mayan temple, a lost Aztec mm -hmm. temple. You know yep. those exist, but but to address Atlantis for a second, even Plato did not call them Greek, all right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Plato said, this is a culture in a continent to the west of us. It is a massive continent. It's bigger than anything you've ever seen. It is an ancient culture. And then in Marvel, it was never Atlantis when it was founded. When uh, when uh, Bill Everett created Namor in the, in the 30s, he refused to call it Atlantis. For the next 30 years, Namor was the leader of an undersea people from an undersea kingdom. And when people asked him, why don't you just call it Atlantis? He says, because it's not Atlantis. It's whatever you want it to be. Uh, all that mattered is that they weren't white. And I say that because very literally they weren't white because in the very first appearance of Namor, he says, I will go off and continue my, my war against the white man. That's literally the ending of his first appearance. All right? well, I'm going I'm to go back to a, to a statement that was said a little while back. A primo of ours said on the show, and he's talking mm -hmm. to uh, Danny De Calvo, writer of Tenoch, God of Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andy Starboy. Uh, we mm -hmm. had a conversation of how Latinos have always been told to look to the ground, to look at agriculture, mm -hmm. to look at farming, mm -hmm. that this is what we're good at. This is what we've been doing. Don't look at, don't look towards the stars. It's always been this type of agricultural, like working the land, right? Working hard for the sweat of your brow, all that. If the fact that there isn't a, a futuristic version of Mesoamerica, it's because we got to write it. We got to do it. Yeah. We got to be the one to establish it and start making it work because we can't rely on the white man to sit there and create our, our stories for us, especially if we're going to sit here and complain that, hey, why are they still in the dark? Why are they only looking at, you know, like he, he didn't evolve beyond what they did 700 years ago. Like we need to be the ones that go, you know what? If we were untouched for that many years, if we're on par with Wakanda, then we need to be on par with Wakanda. Like there needs to be a, a, a uplift, facelift of that whole society which we let need me to ask this I, I know professor Adama, you're gonna have thoughts on this but before we get to you i want to go to casey first casey 
what are your thoughts on on Namor? Um, I know that I kind of laid a whole bunch out there. Those are my concerns with it that I will admit I got better on it on the second viewing because I knew what to expect. But on first viewing, it really got to me. What are your thoughts uh, on on Namor and, and, and that culture? So I guess generally just to start, uh, Tenoch Huerta. I hope I'm pronouncing his name yeah, correctly. Teno- mm-hmm. Tenoch. Or Tenoch. Tenoch Huerta. Uh, Tenoch Huerta. Fantastic performance, I'd say. Um, mm. he really oh, yeah. Amazing. Knocked it out of the park. And the idea that they actually introduced him, quote unquote, I, apparently I read somewhere he is the first actor to actually be introduced um, in the credits of a Marvel film. So that was pretty awesome for them to push him out there in that way. Obviously, at the same time, Kevin, I agree with you. It is interesting because this is a man who's acted in like 60 specifically Mexican or Spanish, mm-hmm. Spanish, um, language, Spanish language films. So it's that was an interesting touch. Uh, but beyond that, I'll say as far as the representation of Talokan and uh, the Talokan, Talokani, is that what they're called? Actually, uh, I, apparently the official term is Talokanil. Talokanil, okay. Thank you. So See, as far as... No, I was just going to say real quick, I'm much more familiar with Nahuatl than I am with Yucatec Maya. I, I have a, actually have one book on Yucatec Maya here, and it doesn't even have like a lot of common words, so I've really been not troubled with it. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so anyway, continue. Sorry, right. Talokanil. But the way they're represented, to just be rather blunt, and it's not just a Marvel thing, all of Hollywood needs to stop making indigenous people blue. Just stop, mm-hmm. stop yeah. fucking doing it. It's like we also have this Avatar sequel coming out next mm-hmm. month. Thoughts that's different. That, that, that's, that's making blue people indigenous. <laughs> that's, yes. going, that's going the other direction. They have to be that's blue because they need to hold oxygen outside <laughs> of the water. When they're underwater, they're brown. Okay? That's why Namor is a mutant and he's a god to them. He doesn't. He holds enough oxygen <sighs> in his body. Freddy, that he doesn't see, have to be thing, blue. Freddy. I like that explanation. If this all existed in a vacuum, and unfortunately, oh, yeah, exactly that. Does it. And that's, it's like, it's not, again, that just an idea that exists within Marvel. It's pervasive across Hollywood, mm-hmm. across, frankly, specifically Western media. And it's very mm-hmm. odd. Like, I didn't even realize um, there was a creator who did a piece called Blue Communique. That's a, like, installation slash um, film sort of museum that goes into the cultural sort of history of how the color blue is used to communicate in uh indigenous uh, communities and indigenous culture it's very indigeneity yeah Mm -hmm. and that was something i saw from actually a fellow programmer from sundance adam peron on sundance he posted that Uh, so shout Mm -hmm. out adam but it's just a really odd thing that way just to quickly touch on that with regards to the showcase of technology it does make me think about my earlier comments about how they depicted talokan and instead of Mm -hmm. showing it through namor's eyes tried to give you some sense of these people and the current place they live in. And I just think they didn't have enough runway to do it in a way that made it feel earnest and like really lived in. Instead, we get a lot of quick shots. We get some kids playing underwater football, I guess. And that was cool. I I wish we could have gotten like even neon uh, glyphs on the wall, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. That was the that was our polka t- talk, right? It wasn't football. It was po- the the yeah. the museum. Yeah, that was really yeah. that was cool. Well, but it goes back to Garcia's point, which is, you know, it's okay to have black and brown people on the big MCU big tent screen as long as they're super exotic. Like you put them too yeah, close yeah. to, they to were us. Exoticized. You remind people that they we live 
you know, in communities that have black and brown people right next door in our houses, whatever they, and that's too much. So, you know, to the point of the blue and to the point of, you know, Garcia and to yours, Casey, like media, we're bombarded with media that basically when we are, when we are interesting or put in front of the camera in any kind of story space, like think about, think about Apocalypto, think about under the, the fountain, think about all of those times when like, it's okay to have us in front of the screen, in front of the camera, as long as we're safely super exotic, exoticized. And as long as we're saved by Christianity at the end. Uh, oh, both yeah. those, both almost, those movies, both those movies you mentioned, end with that. So, but you know what? It also, whenever you watch these films, it's always been about uh, one of these situations where, like, oh, good for him! Like he yep. was able to do it with such mm -hmm. limited resources and limited abilities. Like fuck mm -hmm. you! Like, like give us mm -hmm. more credit than that. You know, Casey brought up something really interesting, which I just honestly, I've been kind of avoiding or staying away from, like the you know all of the buzz around this and stuff. This is just, you know, because I wanted my own kind of honest take on this. But it is interesting. Yeah. I did notice that people like Tenoch Huertas, you know, and I love that he's got a platform and mm -hmm. and everything. But this goes back to Primo Freddy and Casey's point. Like, he didn't just drop out of fucking nowhere. Like, yeah. dude, this guy is like, I mean, if you've seen Sin Nombre, Lil Mago, oh, yeah. that yeah. character, mm -hmm. what the shit i mean la zona you know forever purge madres he plays this really sensitive really beautiful latino papa who's like you know i mean and these are all you know blumhouse stuff um you know like this guy didn't just drop out of nowhere and suddenly like you know mcu made this guy like you know someone you know and uh, to my point, and I'll end, I don't want to take up too much time, but this is what I worry about. We love that our kids are going and they're seeing, seeing someone they can, you know, get excited about that they can dream, you know, they can daydream being and not have to be like daydreaming Captain America as themselves, right? We love that. We love that we think we may have turned a corner finally, but guess what? We are always so disappointed. Remember when Roma came out in 2018, Alfonso mm -hmm. Cuaron, mm -hmm. and Yalitza Aparicio yeah. was on the cover of Vogue. Everyone's like, this is a game changer. What has she done since? What has and she been saying, to do since? Yeah, what, is, yeah, what, what, what has what she been able yeah. to do? What has exactly. she been able exactly. to do since? Sorry, you're right, Garcia. Thanks. No, no, but that's exactly the way the word it. Now, now, that was my first concern, which was the representation of indigenous culture in what I'll be honest with you, as somebody who I read a lot of fiction from the, the Victorian era all the way to the, the pulp era of the 30s and 40s, and those same tropes show up. That idea that if Mesoamerica secretly existed, it would never have changed from the 1500s, and that if they see one thing that they don't know, they're going to worship as a god. Those two things both exist in this movie, which was a fear I had the second I saw that trailer. The second fear I had, though, was more personal. So while the first fear is more of this overall how they're presenting Latinos and specifically the indigenous cultures in Latin America, the second fear is that I've talked a lot several times about how I have been grown up, grown up with mixed heritage and uh, grown up as somebody who always felt like an outsider in what my own community, whichever community that is. 
um, it, it, growing up in the border in Brownsville, Texas, I was always that white kid, you know, and I was always kind of excluded. It didn't help that I was from a generation in which Spanish was not taught nor encouraged. If I was born five to 10 years later, I would be bilingual. If I was born five to 10 years earlier, I would have been punished for knowing Spanish. I was in that generation where they didn't care. Um, and as a result, you know, for my whole life in Brownsville, I was seen as an outsider despite having spent most of my life there. And then when I would go visit my family in Kansas and I'd walk around town there, um, people would find out that I'm a Garcia or a few people even look at me and say I'm a Garcia, which surprised me because uh, I'm so used to people seeing me as white. And I didn't fit in there. I was too Mexican for them. I was too white for the others. Um, this is the experience I've had my entire life. I say all that to say this. People asked me for years who my favorite superhero was. And for years, I said I couldn't choose a favorite child. But about 10, 15 years ago, I said, you know what? I've actually been looking at this guy as a hero for years. And he is my favorite hero. And that's no more. And a big part of that reason is he is the biggest representation in the comics of mixed heritage. There are other characters like Miles Morales and others who have mixed culture, but they're always welcomed by it. It's always like you are both Puerto Rican and black. And by the way, his black uh, side is also Puerto Rican and vice versa. He, he's, he's fully both. But my point is they're like, you're both of these things. It's cool. And then if you go back to um, Aquaman in the eighties, where they tried to rip off no more, uh, they gave him that mixed heritage origin. And the, the way he was a, an outsider was, oh, he's blonde. Can you believe it? And I was like, you know what? That's dumb. Why, why are you doing that? Um, but now more, this has been part of his story since 1939. Mm -hmm. Since 1939, his own people had to respect him as the crown prince, but also constantly talked behind his back as an ugly pink skinned surface world dweller. And every time he came to the surface, he was a freak because he had pointed ears and, and, and the eyebrows and the wings of his feet, everything else. It was always part of it that he had to fight for acceptance and respect everywhere he went. And in that respect, I really appreciated Namor. I took Namor for that. And it didn't matter to me that it was a fictional culture. And again, as I said earlier, uh, the original creator did not even want to give them a culture. And since Stan Lee established it as Atlantis, every artist who has drawn Atlantis has drawn it differently. So there's never been an established culture for Atlantis. So you could put the veneer of Mesoamerica on it and it would not be inaccurate to the comics. Mm. My problem is, is that when I saw that trailer and I saw that everybody was not blue underwater, that bothered me. Mm -hmm. And I realize that sounds ironic. Based on everything you guys just said, don't turn indigenous people blue. My thing is, he needs to be visually distinct from his own people to the point that they don't worship him as a god, but they respect him as a leader while at the same time wishing he wasn't. Right. And that was my story. And so I feel like the one character who really had my story had that story removed. And, and I don't... I don't want to take away the indigenous representation that they created because I love that. I really appreciate that. I think that's very, very important that they did that. But at the same time, I feel like they could have done that and maintained his outsider status, which yes, I know the whole stereotype of turning indigenous people blue is an issue, but if he was visually different from his people and he was 500 years old, it wouldn't matter. They would still see him as an outsider. Or, heck, if they just saw his wings as being different or anything about him as being different and viewed him as an outsider, that would have existed. But instead, we get a guy who has been completely accepted, worshipped by his own people for his entire life. And that is the strongest aspect of Namor's character, from my view as a reader, was that mixed heritage. And it's gone.
Mm. And, and again, I feel like this is something that could be addressed in, in a future movie. Maybe if they show a wider underwater community, like I said, and that wider underwater community sees him as an outsider simply because he's amphibious, that'd be enough to establish that ability. But like they took it away. And, and I got to ask you guys here, as people who have talked uh, about, uh, you know, Professor Aldama, you've talked about indigenous and Latin American cultures a lot. Uh, Casey, I've talked with you before about, about other communities as well. Am I... Am I alone in this? Am I being too selfish to look at it this way? Because I've not heard this argument anywhere else. This is—I'm the only one I've heard this argument from. But it, in a personal no, level, think, bothers I, me. No, I think I think I, I, I'm with you on that. And I think the way we can get around this right now, Garcia, is for you to go and paint yourself blue. I'm going to. <laughs> there is a filter on TikTok right now that lets me put a Namor helmet on my head, and I, and I can go do that. But but the thing is, is like. I walked God. out of that. Yes, the first time I walked out of that movie, I was angry, and I was angry because of that. And you know what? As much as I've been complaining, I really did love the movie, but I was angry because of you that. You have every right to feel the character that you had such a connection with not be represented as you saw him, and that that happens. And you have every right to to be that way. And you're right. I haven't heard the argument, but I understand what you're getting at. That the character that you associated with had something so unique about him that it was taken from him. And the fact that he was so accepted actually takes away from the complexity of what the character can actually be mm. down the line, which can address which we're getting into the mutant conversation. If mm -hmm. we, as we're getting into those aspects, right. Of how the X-Men were, you know, we a symbol for racism and, and how we, the society deals with that. Like we're taking away a character that could be, Shit, multifaceted into all these other other films, other mm. properties, what have you, could address those things. Like you said, why couldn't there be the uh, Spidey and Friends version of Namor having that conversation <laughs> for a five year old to kind of understand, right? But now that's gone. I think we're missing the 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 point here, which is that Primo Freddy, stand up! I know you got those green shorts, those little nice little <laughs> hug huggers. I, have, I, those did, little I did hit the I did hit the gym today. <laughs> Just wait. I'm working on it, man. I'm almost looking. Yeah, my back. When I went to go see the movie in the theater, I had little wings on my shoes. I'm not kidding. You did. I, I, yeah, I to, Casey, I forgot to show them to you, but I did have little wings on my shoes. One thing I want to ask about you guys, I don't know if you guys, I know we're running a little bit long, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> we're that's running okay. MCU uh, long. We're running MCU long. It's like one, two, <laughs> half hour long. But there is a conversation that I had with a couple of friends of mine, and they told me, they're like, hey, man, good for you and i go what do you mean they're like oh good for your people and i go I, I mean what are you talking about they're like yeah man like you finally finally in the mcu you know like this is your black panther like, i mean oh. it could be it could be it could have been that's why it, I said. You know, it still could be because again <laughs> like, black panther on, first like, showed up in civil war so but this is the thing but there we go again we haven't we had our have we haven't divide had up our, the pie again no we yeah. haven't had the our no more movie you know we haven't had that I know. boom that big moment we haven't I know. we are I know. we are a guest star in a black panther yeah. movie and my friends you know that, that happen to be black and they're like man you know what cool that just shows that you know that they let us in it's kind of the vibe that i got like hey isn't it cool that they included you in this because we have the platform and it's like huh I didn't see it that way. I just looked at it as 
I got to be honest though. For for all my gripes on that, I'm not kidding when I say I liked this movie. I liked the I, no no I'm not kidding. I liked the I liked the special effects. I like the stories. No, no, no. They're I'm getting down. Because they need to have no, oxygen. No, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold <laughs> on. Oh, but I want to address what you just said right now, because as much as I am personally complaining about that, Look at him. He's I really love all the reactions I've seen of people, of Latino people across the spectrum, excited to associate with Namor. Now, they don't care that he looked much lighter skinned in the in the comics. They don't. They aren't aware of his mixed heritage in the comics. All they see is somebody from Mexico or Central America that represents <clears throat> their history that has power. He is flat out stated to be as strong as the Hulk, and we know that his culture is a threat to the strongest country in the world. So I like that. I appreciate <coughs> that that exists for people, um, even with my gripes. Okay, one last thing here. <laughs> Namora. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I mean, you know, we, I, what can I say? You know, it's like, I, Tenoch Huerta, yeah, you know, thirst trap, as my students call him, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> but, but, you know, what about our Namora? What about, like, a little, give, I mean, you know, if Queen Ramonda's all about this is our time, well, damn, like, girl, like, give it over to, you know, Namora, right? Can I can I point out um, by including Namora in the movie and making her blue and essentially just a general, um, they are kind of presenting something that existed in the comics. Uh, Namora in the comics, uh, her origin is that she was blue when she was younger and was no more powerful than any other Atlantean. Now, mind you, the average Atlantean can lift ten tons. Or sorry, two tons, not ten tons. Oh yeah, big difference, right? Two tons, of course, that's too small. Yeah, uh, but the point is. Yeah, I know. I specified. But but as she came into her own, her skin changed color, her wings emerged from her feet, and she became as powerful as Namor. So by introducing her into the movie as this, that presents the idea that once you do have an individual Namor movie, we could see Namora take her place mm. at his side as an equal which mm. I think is very impressive of an idea. Uh, in, in well, the that's comics, why we love you, Garcia, because yeah. you've, like, you know the comics upside down, inside out. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, what can I say? Like, you know, I was about to say, I especially know no more inside out, but then I realized that sounded a bit weird. <laughs> wow. Hey, listen. Wow. I, hey, honestly, no, most people would be jealous of you, frankly, so. <laughs> yeah, there you go, I man. think so. Hey, listen, uh, look, one I, last thing. One last thing. Props to the the soundtrack man i mean oh yeah it oh, is Santa beautiful yeah. Had the song i've there. been playing it every day since the movie came out <laughs> i'm not kidding it is i mean if we have alliances made anywhere in this movie it's at the level of the auditory like shaping of this narrative and it's like you've got we got latinx we got you know we got rapping in mayan we got you know, everything, all the beats, all the sounds, all the languages, and it's all coming together. So if there's anything that we should be celebrating as an alliance of our peoples and our communities, it's in the, in the music. And oh, I noticed, by the way, this, this is the first time I've seen a Marvel movie mention song by Rihanna, you know, in the, mm -hmm. the, the, the cast credits. Like literally they had cast credits 
and you know Rihanna's song, and I was like, wow, they never do that. They always put all the artists at the end of the of the credits. Listen, um, someone's yeah. headlining the Super Bowl next year. You gotta put her name on there. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta oh, represent already. Yeah. Exactly. No, I mean the music's uh, great, man. Santa Fe Clan. I'm a big fan of mm -hmm. him, and like he, mm -hmm. my wife loved him, and his rap is dope. It's just powerful. That song, mm. uh, Soy. It just literally mm -hmm. brings up about about somebody that's basically wait, waiting to act, you know, and just mm -hmm. he's not hiding anymore. Like this is literally the more story, you know, and he's mm -hmm. giving us so much power. I love that song and La Vida by Snow the Product, another rapper. Mm -hmm. She's just if you don't know Snow the Snow the Product, go find her Latina rapper that's just killing it, and she's oh, just dominating. It. Man. Mm -hmm. She's it, awesome. It, too. Oh, I know. And by the way, I, I just love uh, Pat Boy. You know, Pat Boy. Mm -hmm. uh, he was already rapping in Yucatec Maya. Uh, Mayan in the in you know for years and in fact I just saw I saw an article about him written a couple years ago and I'm just thinking to myself you know some executive at Marvel was like okay so we're deciding to make this guy Mesoamerican right what language do they got uh, we got Maya you know Nahuatl oh, just Maya hey can we get anybody doing music let me just do a quick search oh hey there's one rapper that's doing music <laughs> in Yucatec Maya and that guy gets a phone call and he's like my day has come. <laughs> you just know, like it was, it was made for him, and it was a beautiful song. It is a beautiful song. Don't get me wrong; I love that song. But like, I just love the idea that there are not a lot of rappers that have had articles written about them singing in Yucatec Maya. Oh yeah, and like, yeah, it. <laughs> he hit the the jackpot just by doing what he wanted to do. I love that. Listen, I'm gonna go get in my bathtub right now. Well, I don't have one, but I'm gonna get one anyway. <laughs> I'm gonna paint myself blue and I'm gonna enjoy the rest of the night. You guys rock it. I it's so awesome to be here with you. Always a pleasure, awesome. Professor. Thank Adama. you for coming. Well, guys, check out at Professor Professor Latinx. Check him out on social media. Of course, and again, you can just Latinx Google Professor Latinx. Latinx. He pops up. All the way. He pops up literally. Latinx <laughs> pop. Bye. Adios.